0: On 96.7 on your FM dial, this is Hugh Cruzel, and the program is QOL, or Quality of Life. As you know, quite often I do talk about wine and food. Most often, wine precedes everything. Let's face it, it starts with a glass of champagne or maybe an icy glass of albarino, if there's some very nice appetizers, including maybe little seafood canapes. My guest today, Andrew Jefford. Now, Andrew, you're going to have to tell us a little bit more about things like where are you today?
1: I'm speaking to you from the heart of London, uh, the business district. It's a part of London called Canary Wharf. Uh, And I'm over here for a month because we're doing the Cantor World Wine Awards, massive tasting we do every year.
0: It got postponed this year, but finally we got round to it in August, so that's where I am now. And and why a month? Wouldn't this take, um, you know, a, a week or so? Have you had to quarantine and things?
1: had to quarantine happily, but, but the answer here is we have 17,000 wines to taste. Now, I'm not going to personally taste all of those, but even with, uh, with teams of tasters, it takes a while to get through that. Normally, people fly in from all over the world to help us taste, including from Canada. We have some wonderful tasters from Canada. But this year, we're having to rely essentially on people who are UK-based or come from very close by.
0: Right, and uh, that includes uh, you, because you, you do come from close by, across the, the channel, right?
1: Exactly. I live in France, back, back down in the south of France, near the city of Montpellier. So uh, I
0: jumped on the train and come all the way up to London for the tasting. How, just Let's go there, because, you know, I, I'm going to do this at some point in time. Does it feel a little weird in, in London, in England generally, to be there at this time?
1: It does, it does. Everything is very weird. Um, you know, half the... All the facilities one needs uh, are kind of shelter or are only tentatively open, uh, and obviously we have to do the tasting under very strict uh, controlled circumstances. Mm. We all wear masks until we actually taste. We're even holding, uh, we even have buzzers that let us know if we come within 1.5 metres of another person, the buzzer goes off. Uh, all of our spittoons have to be taken off and incinerated at the end of the day, so
0: Circumstances are very special, both in the city and in the city at large. Okay, so, well, let's face it, people are being very careful about sanitation. Are the glasses being... I was at an event, Andrew, and I don't know whether it was bleach. I don't know what it was, but I'm certain the decanter of uh, wine wards would not allow wine glasses to be tainted in any way. No, that's true.
1: And, and, you know, I'm super happy with the quality of the glass where it's been beautifully washed. But what we do have to do is, Normally somebody is, is, as it were, pouring wine for us and moving glasses around for us as we taste, but this time we have to do it all ourselves. They're not allowed to touch our glasses. So I personally take all of my wash glasses from uh, from the plastic glass uh, box, as it were, uh, and at the end they all...
0: Well, let's let's do it then. Uh, Decanter Wine Awards. Will there be like a a provisional statement at the beginning of of the actual um, announcement, saying you know, due to COVID nineteen, this has been a little bit of an odd experience. In fact, will you will, will you in fact will you write an an article about your experiences?
1: <laughs> I will be writing about my experience, not least because I'm one of the 3 coaching co-chairs. Every year we have a special.
0: Oh, I, I've lost you, Andrew. There, are you back with me? Oh, I—we uh, are talking to Andrew in, in England. He is at the Hilton and Canary Wharf, and I think we've just lost him for a moment or two. now oh, I'm going to dial him back. Uh, Stand by, folks. This is QOL, and my name is Hugh Cruzel. And the program—the program is on CKLU ninety-six point seven. Stand by. Hello. There we go, Andrew. Um, we we were cut off by technology, I think.
1: Yes, it's a it's a shame. I don't know. Special circumstances
0: all around. Uh, It is, in fact, actually the sound quality is a little bit better on this call. Perhaps uh, the mice haven't cut our line or tampered with it. We were talking about uh, writing. Uh, You are an author. You are a very well published author on the subject of wine.
1: Correct. Yes, I've been doing it for over thirty years now.
0: Hmm. Now, I came across you through a lecture, I shouldn't call it a lecture, a seminar, is that the right word? I don't know, a, a convivium, perhaps, on cool climate uh, viticulture, particularly, if I recall, now it has been a month ago, and there's been many bottles consumed since then, on Chardonnay.
1: Yes, indeed, the the I4C conference, which, again, due to COVID, we had to try and do, uh, as it were, virtually this year. Uh, I was due to give the keynote speech, uh in Toronto, in Ontario, in Niagara, in fact, but we all had to do it online. So, so uh, I took part in that, and you tuned in, I
0: believe. I did, and I was I was entranced by your your poetry about wine. And hence the phone call, hence the connection. You you've been to Canada, you've been to the Niagara before.
1: Yes, absolutely, several times. I'm very fond of it.
0: Mm. Well, uh, what makes. Uh, here you are in the south of France, which we always assume as being hot. How did you become a specialist on cool climate enology?
1: Well, I wouldn't say I'm a specialist on cool climate, but uh, obviously anybody who writes about wine has to take cool climates very seriously nowadays. Uh, you know, we have the problem of global warming, which is facing everybody. So, what do you do if, you're, if you're, the region in which you grow wine, such as the south of France, is getting warmer and warmer and warmer? Uh, maybe you have to look and try and plant and grow grapes in, in cooler locations. So there's a lot of interest in cooler climate viticulture nowadays. Mm-hmm. And I might say, since I'm speaking from, to you from London, uh, of course, the UK is one of the beneficiaries, as is Ontario in general, of this trend towards growing wine in cooler climates than was
0: previously considered possible. Right, well, but England does have, but Kent and uh, East Anglia does have a tra- well. Even Hampshire has a bit of a tradition. I know. I've been uh, just north of Winchester, and I've been out to uh, where hop kilns used to be out in uh, in uh, in East Anglia and, and Kent, as I mentioned. And um, there are vines there, are, and it goes back to the thirteen si- hundreds. There were people, maybe even Roman times.
1: Yes, there was a little bit of viticulture in Roman times, but. 1300 certainly it was what was called the medieval warm period. Uh, it was a, a, a period of uh, climate change previously, not due to the same causes that it's due to now.
0: Mm-hmm. And then of course there was the yeah. little mini ice age in the 1600s.
1: Yes, exactly. And and it became completely impossible then. And it really only uh, nobody really thought about it again until the 1950s after the Second World War. And then there were some experimental pioneers. Uh, and of course, there was a great leap forward. I would say, from the 1990s, when we discovered that in, in grove may,
0: we may. Yes. Well, the Marl uh, that is uh, exhibits itself in in the Champagne region uh, pops up again in in this in southern England, doesn't it? Absolutely, absolutely. The Choukis also exist. And and that's other That's yeah. That's led to a an explosion of British. Champagne? We, I know we can't say that. British sparkling wine? Yes. And, and have you tasted some of these very well-known products? Oh, I think we may have lost Andrew again. Andrew, are you still there? Maybe it's going to go buzz-buzz to us in just a moment here. Now it did. One, one second, folks. Hello, Hugh. Hello. Well, we—that's a nice station pause. This is CKLU 96.7. This is QOL. My name's Hugh, and my guest is Andrew Jefford. Andrew, um, we were talking about British wine. Uh, do people still turn? Yes. Do people turn their nose up to it, or is there truly now a sense of, of pride?
1: There is now a real sense of pride. Everybody realizes that once sparkling wine began to be made in the UK, suddenly you could see that the U.K. was competitive with, with other wine-producing regions and notably with Champagne in France. And so now there's a real sense of, uh, of pride uh, and uh, passion to create outstanding sparkling wine in the U.K., sparkling wine that could match the best that can be produced in Champagne.
0: mm I, I We had shared some questions uh much earlier in our conversations, and I'd like to return to a couple of those because, of course, you would have a global perspective on things. And, and I just want to know, we we're talking about England rising. I mean, let's face it, Argentina did the same um, probably 30 years ago, South Africa before that. And, of course, uh, we can't forget America, the judgment in Paris uh, in the—what what year was that? I, I can't recall.
1: Uh, that was back in uh, back in the, the, the 70s, I think. Uh, yes. I, I haven't got the date in
0: my head. No, ma, me, moi non plus. Uh, but what what is it about France and Italy that makes them retain their place in the wine pantheon of gods, uh, wine gods? What, what is it about Italy and France that just makes it so, like it's a go-to? Yeah,
1: completely. Well, I have to say the first thing is that they're in the right place on the surface of the earth. Uh, in other words, they fit, uh, but particularly France, fits uh, astride latitude 47, and so that gives it uh, northerly parts where you can produce classic cool climate wines, and it also has a southern part, the south of France, Bordeaux as well as in the south of France, and you can produce much richer, more opulent wines there. Italy is a slightly different case, uh, it lies a bit further south in general, but it's a lot of uh, higher-altitude land, with the Apennines running down the middle of it, uh, and uh, Italy is one of those nations where you, you can, if you put your mind to it, produce wine pretty much anywhere, mm. and indeed, wine has produced right across Italy for the last 2,000 years.
0: Yeah, well, it was called Inotria, so wasn't it, uh, years ago, the Greeks? Indeed. Yes.
1: Absolutely, Inotria, so land of the vine, and so, so the, the tradition there is a, a hugely long one, and... and wonderful, different growing regions in every part of Italy. So both France and Italy are just absolutely in the right spot to to pursue this activity on the surface of the earth. The the cultural advantage of wine having been produced here for such a long time, and it being very much an intimate part of everybody's life. Uh, There's no Italian agriculture without wine. Uh, It's a bit more specialized in France, but wherever you have a wine region in France, uh, viticulture is, is... significant part where I live in the south of France for example it's it's the leading agricultural activity in the whole of the south of France Mm. so long long traditions as well
0: Hmm. Well, I'm glad you got into culture. I just want to say before that I'm sitting here at 47 degrees north latitude, but uh, growing grapes is not something we have, of course, a continental climate, whereas uh, Europe is influenced by the the Gulf uh, Stream and, and so many other things and that protective northern range that makes a difference, whereas for us, the Rockies, the western Cordillera runs you know, north-south. But let's talk about culture for a minute, Andrew. Do you think that there's a this growing awareness of wine and, and food is shifting? And, and again, you, you're standing on the outside, so you probably can give a better perspective on it. Shifting America and Canada into a more cultured version of themselves.
1: Yes, I, I, I think so. Um, you know, I've been hugely impressed. I've been over to Canada and to the USA. Uh, and you go and see the restaurant scene now. You go and see the wine scene the farmers' markets, the quality of produce that people are championing and celebrating. Uh, and that's, I think, making a huge difference to to the quality of life there. It's something that people value. And indeed, when I think of the times I've been over with you and in the USA when wine festivals are taking place, I'm absolutely astonished by how popular they are, uh, how much people uh, relish them and uh, wasn't part of life.
0: It really has changed. I mean, 25 years ago, a, a wine event that I attended, uh, which was a Zinfandel event in San Francisco, they had to give tickets away. And, uh, but seriously, I mean, who wanted to drink Zinfandel? I mean, it was mostly pink and mostly sweet, and and that is not what was being showcased, of course. People have got onto the Pinot Noir bandwagon here. People have have done all these things. Uh, In France, and I mean, gosh, I saw just a video the other day of a 12-year-old who was being taught the difference between various grape varieties, and he was like, well, but I know about these things already. What is the difference? I mean, why is our education system not embracing this as the French have?
1: aspect here is often said to be the religious traditions, wherever you have traditions of Protestantism and Calvinism, there is a sort of lingering sense that that, uh, food and drink are kind of frivolous matters. Uh, Once you've actually satisfied your basic needs, then anything else is uh, rather extravagant and and almost decadent to indulge in those kind of things. Hmm. Whereas France uh, and Italy have the the Catholic traditions where these things are celebrated very much as a part of life. But, you know, I don't know whether
0: that's true. That's often said to be a reason why there are. Well, Andrew, where you live, do you... I don't know how bottles that are empty are dealt with. What do you do? Do you put them at the curbside? Do you take them back to the wineries? How does it work?
1: Uh, We take them off to recycling bins. So they all, you know,
0: they get recycled. Right, we do. We actually have a deposit generally on most bottles. Uh, When I... have gone to take stuff in speaking of of a more protestant ethic uh, people have said like oh my goodness do you know that's a lot of and it's like boy that's so judgmental how do you know how long i've been drinking i mean it might have been this might be a whole year's worth for all i know or it might be a week oh we've lost andrew again we're going to try to connect this is hugh cruzel one second Hello, Andrew. We got all these wonderful station breaks. Uh, Andrew, let's talk about better bottles. Should people be drinking? What is a better bottle? I see people drinking vin ordinaire. and, and Well, we really don't have that here in Canada, but um, what is a better bottle?
1: Hello. Hello. we keep losing this
0: line. That's okay. Well, I guess we just have to put it together. Or I'll be stitching a lot. Uh, I was asking a question about just table wine, which we do have. Uh, What is a better bottle, Andrew? What does that mean for you? What does it mean for consumers?
1: Okay, well, (laughs) more their own taste as far as they
0: can. Is it an intersection of of taste and cost?
1: Yes, but, you know, it's 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 a force to assume that you have to spend a lot more money in order to have a better wine. So true. Once you get a chance, I'm, I'm thinking, for example, about French wines. Uh, there's a French wine called M-A-D-I-R-A-N, which I'm fond of. Uh, to me, it's fantastic quality. It doesn't necessarily cost that much, uh, and it has real density and depth and power and everything I look for in a red wine, and it's a relatively inexpensive wine because it's not very widely known yet. Ah. So once you get a chance to explore your taste, you can often find
0: Yes, well isn't that true? So not everybody can pursue a Grand Cru, but you can what should the average consumer be looking for then? Is it truly that that find, that, that new oh look at what's on the shelf, I've never seen that before.
1: Yes, I think it's a great idea to, to explore the unknown um, obviously everybody's tastes are different, some people might like really rich red wines, other people might like fresh, light, white wines but until you start exploring, until you push at the limits of of what your retailer can actually offer you and discover the the less well-known wines. Very often it is the less well-known wines which uh, deliver the best value for money. So you have to go out there, develop your taste, look, and search things out. And you'll certainly find them because there's a fantastic uh, variety of great inexpensive wine on offer.
0: Well, you're surrounded by it, but what about the market in the UK? What about us here? What about America in the larger sense? Are we buying differently now than we were before?
1: I think we are. Um, for example, the, the, here in the UK, there's a wine called Picpoule de Pinay. Uh, it's very popular. I just wrote about this uh, the week before last in the Financial Times. Uh, and it's a wine that comes from the south of France, from Languedoc, where I live. Uh, and it offers fantastic uh, value for money and... 57% of the wine they produce uh, in Picpou de Piné, this little appellation, is actually now consumed in the UK because its uh, UK drinkers have really switched on to what that offers. Mm. That's an example of something that's come to public notice risk.
0: Well, uh, okay, uh, you know, I, I find there's kind of a divide too. those who are interested and intrigued by wine and then there's a whole group of people who are put off by by people who enjoy the poetic nature of wine the the back labels and they they poo-poo the whole thing and they go you know it's 750 mils in a bottle all the bottles are 750 oh no andrew we've gone again oh one moment please folks (laughs) Hello, andrew um we were talking about uh, the poetic language of wine and that it sometimes puts consumers off and, and sometimes labels are, um, you know, and even the pictures on the front. Some people are like, no, nah, I'm just going back to my regular wine. It's all 750 mils, some people say. Uh, what, what do you, how do you respond to that?
1: Well, uh, I, if I was uh, with somebody like that, you try and find something interesting for them. But I have to say, true, uh, also, that um, you know, there are some... Bigger brands which also offer terrific value for me. Uh, about, I'm thinking about something like uh, the Cote du Rhone wine from Igal, uh, are very uh, produced in huge quantities. Um, and, you know, it's a wine that everybody knows, it's a familiar label, and yet the quality is often very good. There's another Cote du Rhone wine from a, a producer called uh, La Vieille Ferme, the old farm. Yes, the with a family.
0: Well, yes, with a, a, a rooster a on farm. the front, yes. Yep.
1: Yeah. So,
0: so wines like that, you know, you don't have to go for the most obscure thing. You can look. Also... I think we've lost him. Hello? Hello, there, we're still here. Yes. Good, good. Yes. So you were talking about, yes, uh, there are large producers that produce great wine. We don't have to go searching too far. W- what about people who are very flighty? I find this quite often to pursuing the next great find. What if you found something? Should you buy a case of it or a couple cases?
1: Uh, if you like it, for sure.
0: Because sometimes it will be on the shelf only once, right?
1: Yes, yes. Uh, you know, we could talk about rosé wine here, for example, which is very fashionable at the moment. Lots of people are into rosé wine. Huge. Uh, yeah, and, uh, but there are some lovely examples of that, particularly from Provence, uh, uh, another part of South France, not the part of the south of France, but a little further east. And that produces a uh, wonderfully delicate rosé wine, which is very
0: popular now. Yes, well, there's a lot of com- a lot coming out of Spain and Portugal. There always were rosés out of Portugal, but so many rosés from Spain on the market here in Canada.
1: Yep, but they they offer very good value too. Rosé as a category has been the biggest uh, expanded uh, category in wine uh, throughout the world in the last ten years. And indeed, there's now more rosé wine drunk in France than there is white
0: wine. Incredibly enough, that is incredible. The land of more- Yes. Uh, Well, that raises, so it wasn't a decade ago, but here uh, being in the industry, I said someday rosés are going to rule. And, you know, not just in the summertime, but I've been saying that about Rieslings. Rieslings are going to rule, but it hasn't happened yet. What's your thought on Riesling?
1: Yes, it's such a tragedy that Riesling isn't more widely appreciated. It's the, the the most beautiful wine, wonderful, cool climate wine as well. Ontario, for example, produces some outstanding Rieslings, Uh, delicate, fresh, uh, poised, lovely fruit characters, and it's also a wine that's capable of reflecting very much the the conditions under which it's grown, Uh, that notion that the French call terroir. Riesling is a terrific variety for reflecting terroir. So I personally, like you, regard it as a, a great sadness that more people don't appreciate.
0: Well, do you remember just a little while ago there was ABC, Anything But Chardonnay, and people would, you know, turn their nose up at Chardonnay. I mean, Riesling, it's even worse. It's like, don't you have anything else?
1: (laughs) Yeah, uh, I don't quite know how we get around that other than just uh, producing.
0: (laughs) Keep producing. Yes, but at some point in time, I mean, even the Germans are, I mean, this whole idea of leaning it out, uh, making it more f- dry, it just has has not done well for it. Uh,
1: perhaps not Germany because the climate is super cool there. example if you
0: try Riesling from Alsace, uh, yes, Alsace. But you know there are, are Rieslings even from Australia, from the Pusey Valley, and yeah. yeah, and we tend to think of it as a warm climate. Yes. Yes.
1: No, it, uh, in Australia, Riesling produces an adaptable variety it can be, because the the wine you just mentioned, the Vale, comes from the Eden Valley, and there are also wonderful wines from the Clare Valley, both quite hot growing locations in South Australia, and yet they can be very compelling dry Rieslings, wonderful salad wines, wonderful summer wines of food.
0: And and I've had many, many Rieslings coming out of Chile and Argentina at one point, but not anymore. I don't see them.
1: There's still a few from Chile, from what's what's called the, the coastal ranges, the part of uh, Chile, the mountains nearest to sea. But it's true, not many from Argentina now.
0: Well, okay, let's go forward. What's the next trend? Dare, dare you even suggest? The next trend? Yes, what is the next trend?
1: <laughs> well, I think Rosé is going to carry on being a trend and carry on growing for, for some time yet, uh, not just because of the quality of what's in the bottle, but also what you can do with that category of wine. Uh, you know, you you can give celebrity endorsements to it. The packaging possibilities of rosé are, are extraordinary too. Rosé
0: uh, visually, not just to taste and to smell, but visually too. Mm,
1: but rosé is going to carry
0: on being significant. Well, but even rosé. I mean, I've had this. I've had rosés that have been grey all the way through to um, the colour of of antifreeze, and 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 coolants for for cars I mean I can't believe the the coloration difference and and not necessarily that they express their strength by color at all is is that true
1: yes uh, you know you, you can make good rose of any color but I would say that the, the most uh the most fashionable and and champion ones have to-
0: Yes, of course.
1: Oh, now, when the thing, you know delicate, yeah, but you know delicate white wines in general, uh, people are looking.
0: Well, I, I do know that there's a growing trend amongst my friends to look for unusuals and to look for indigenous grape varieties that have been, well, maybe are single source, single vineyard, or maybe they're even blended with others that were more traditional. I've seen that from northern Spain and southern France. Yes,
1: that, that's true. Uh, there's a sense that the 20 varieties which we've used pretty much exclusively for, for wines right around the world until very recently are, uh, are not adequate anymore, and people are beginning to employ some of these other uh, more interesting, more offbeat varieties, for
0: sure. And some of them, I mean, especially the the Portuguese ones, are almost, uh, until you, you don't look at the word, don't look at the word, just remember how to say it, because it's got X's in it and things like that, so.
1: Well no. And
0: O's and the Portuguese yes, and of course we are exploring unusual regions of Italy. Uh, uh, the uh, the wines of of Mount Etna, the wines of Sicily, the wines of well, as we did years ago when we started to look at at uh, the boot of Italy and and started. You know, what's the next wine region too that's going to take off? Yeah, are 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 people going to clamor for Ontario across the world?
1: Well, I hope so. I think Ontario has tremendous for. You know, when you consider wine made outside Europe, me, there are many, particularly talking about Chardonnay, which are as subtle as those that you get from Ontario. But I think when people uh, in Europe are beginning to look for wines from outside Europe, which have subtlety and grace, which work well with food, which is something that great European wines have always done, they may well look to wines from Ontario. Mm.
0: Or Chenin Blanc from uh, a well-made Chenin from South Africa. South Africa is going through a terrible time right now. Yes. Um,
1: yeah, uh, they're, they're having a great, a great uh, colossal difficulties uh, domestically. So I think everything that the world can do to, to support and to buy South African wine at the moment, and as you mentioned, Chenin Blanc can be a terrific... Uh...
0: And Andrew, are we still there? I think we may have... yeah, yeah, Oh, yes, good. So what, what also, uh, I'm, in the last few moments, there's also places like Hungary with crazy grape varieties.
1: Yep, and uh, Romania as well... Uh...
0: yes andrew we are approaching the last few moments here and and i know you and i will continue our discussion i just want to say thank you very much for being our guest here today on cklu 96.7 and the program is qol my name hugh cruzell and we've been talking wine with andrew jefford thanks andrew
1: thank you
0: great to be with you
1: Show it